Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Veterans in Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese. And today our special guest is Dr. David Vaki of Liberty University. Dr. David, how are you today, sir? I'm great. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to uh, join you and your audience, Luke. Thank you so much. It's great having you. Um, David, can you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, sir? So I'm a 20-year veteran of the Army, retired, uh, rolled into higher education uh, at, at the end of my career, and uh, became a little bit of a, a challenge uh, agent to some of what was being in the literature, and, uh, and kind of rode through a little bit of an academic trajectory, and now I find myself uh, sitting as a dissertation chair overseeing uh, student research, and, uh, and I love it. You, you're reading all of that and you love it? That's great. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Awesome. So, David, with, uh, with so career, full 20 years in the, in the U.S. Army as an officer, and uh, I know you've been at a couple different institutions, and right now you are in the College of Education, right, at Liberty University. So, given the sum total of all these things, sir, uh, can you tell us what you see that veterans are doing well in higher education? You know, one of the things that got me so passionate about the literature that has to do with student veterans and just the experience of student veterans was this idea that goes back now 13 or 14 years that somehow veterans are struggling in higher education. And for me, over the course of a 20-year career, I looked at veterans Oh, well, the, those that I was serving with on active duty. And I said, the, if these same people are coming into college, given what I know about college, I really don't see how there's widespread struggle. There's always going to be a little bit of struggle, but I just don't get it. There's just no data. And so finally, uh, three or four years ago, Student Veterans of America came out with um, their NVEST report, uh, which shows uh, statistically that student veterans are among the most, if not the most successful student population uh, right. in higher ed, which actually tracks back to all the data that we have all the way back to the post-World War I era. So I would say the, the most prominent thing veterans are doing well in higher education is they're graduating. Yeah, graduating. And I would also agree the fact that you pointed out the, you know, stats show post-World War I. I think we all famously know post-World War II uh, you're talking about veterans creating the infrastructure of the nation at that time. So, man, I'm glad you said that because I agree with you. And I'd also say that it's a very consistent population. Uh, and we can't say that for all populations. It is. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because in, in the World War II you know, era, right after World War II, the data suggested that veterans have a tenth of a point better GPA than non-veterans. And guess what the data says today? A tenth of a point better GPA than non-veterans. It's ah. consistent, exactly like you said. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
Oh, great, David. I love that answer. Now, now on the, the flip side of that, what is something that, that you see that uh, veterans could improve in our higher education landscape? So it's partially not veterans' fault because, um, as you know, we condition our military members to avoid failure, avoid being the weakest link, avoid the perception of struggling. And, and what they learn over time is to not seek help because anyone who seeks help is weak and, um, and then they'll get squashed. And I get when we're developing an environment in the military where we have to charge into machine gun fire to win the day, um, that kind of mentality is very helpful. For the rest of life, that's not helpful mentality at all. So the thing that veterans could do better in higher education is seek help, particularly in, in two areas. One is with offices of disability services. Veterans should just go there and get registered. Um, I mean, unless you literally have no disability, then don't bother. But there, there are a lot of veterans, maybe 20 to 30% who have any of an array of disabilities. Go to disability services, get registered, see what they have to offer and take advantage of that. And the other one applies to all student veterans. Go to academic support services, get peer tutoring, go to, go to office hours, get that help that's there for everybody. If those things can happen, then I think coming out of college, whether you graduate or not, all veterans are going to be more successful in life. I love that you say that. Um, and, you know, I think I've said it on the show here before, but uh, what I notice and, and, you know, what some of the literature suggests, too, is veterans are more apt to take on these programs if they're suggested by a peer as opposed to somebody in the system. And I think that's really, really interesting because I think it, it points out to exactly what you're saying. You know, um, we have been conditioned and you're right, the job requires this because there are gonna be some arduous times where there's some tough decisions. So we've been conditioned not to get help and to, to find a way, whatever that way might be. Uh, however, when you come to higher education, it, you know, it's you're honestly giving yourself and others a disservice by not taking advantage of what's there. And I tell you what I find very interesting, David, is uh, we come to higher education, higher education has a, a big price tag attached to it. And we don't take advantage of all these services that at the end of the day, we're paying for. Mm -hmm. you know? I, it's been yeah. very interesting. Yeah, it's great that you mentioned too that that peer suggestion. Anytime I've had uh, student veterans who have gone to tap into, especially disability services, I'll just be like, "Hey, if you think you see somebody else around who you know may benefit from from doing the same kind of thing, tell them your story and why you went there and what you got for experience." Because you're right. It's I mean, I can be as the, as the guy in charge. I can talk about it all day, but you, you lose just some degree of credibility being the guy in charge. It's just the way it is. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt about that. Awesome, my friend. So you mentioned in the beginning that you had a 20-year stint. No, no, your career uh, in the U.S. Army as an officer. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about like what motivated you to join what did you do or the various positions that you would like to share? And uh, what was your time like while you were in the military? Yeah, when I was uh, approaching college, I was wet behind the ears like many of us are. And um, I, I got offered an ROTC scholarship to Purdue University, which was great. And um, probably 
a couple of years into that, um, somebody was like, well, you know, if you go 20 years, you can get a retirement. I'm like, what's that mean? They're like, well, you kind of get paid for sitting on the couch. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to go for that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, it it wasn't one of these, you know, multiple generations of Vakis serving in the military. Um, I had great uncles who served in World War II, but no direct connection to serving in the military. So I had a career in the, in the field artillery, loved almost every minute of it, you know, like everybody else had a few bad experiences, but um, some of the highlights, uh, certainly command and taking care of soldiers was always a highlight. Um, I, I, I would go to bat for soldiers and soldiers' families um, to a fault, which I think the soldiers appreciated. And, uh, and, and really that, that it was even beyond command. You know, anytime you had soldiers working for you, it was, it was my privilege to, to fight on behalf of, of those who worked for me and helped me be successful. But other things that were really interesting to me were I had a couple of years where I served in Korea. And, uh, and then of course I had uh, six months in Kuwait and then a year in Iraq. And, um, and those were incredibly formative experiences, especially many of those were as, as a senior officer. And, you know, you talk about the quintessential examples of, well, we trained for kinetic war to, you know, break things and blow stuff up. And then you get in there and you're nation building and you're, you're doing security and stability operations. And I, I end up becoming the advisor to, uh, like nine local governments, you know, there wow. in the suburb north of Baghdad and teaching um, Iraqis through a local translator how to do Robert's Rules of Order and to run a, a government council without a budget. Uh, I, mean, I mean, just, you know, just crazy stuff. <clears throat> and, and so, um, yeah, those experiences are really great. One of the, the most fascinating favorite times that I had was towards the end of my career, though. I had three years as the commander of the ROTC detachment at University of Massachusetts. And not only was it just a privilege to help get young officers ready to join uh, the officer corps in the guard reserves and active duty, but I was also an integrated part of the academic community at UMass, which is why I decided I wanted to pursue a PhD in higher education administration at the end of my career, because um, I said, you know, I kind of like this environment. I like, I was teaching a a course. They let me create an elective that was on Iraq at the time, 2005, 2006. There were protesters who didn't know what they were protesting. There were supporters who didn't know what they were supporting. It was the ignorant surrounded by the ignorant. And I said, we need some facts and we need some information. And it turned into one of the most popular, uh, uh, elective courses on campus. Um, I was expanding sections and letting students in over the top. It was, it was crazy, uh, but it was really fun. And I said, you know, I think I would like that. And uh, years later, here I am, faculty member. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. I love to hear, I love to hear that early success of that course. And I love that, you know, uh, the topic, it, it, you're right. It was very needed, still is needed, but it was very needed at the time. And you're right. People were approaching this, uh, you know, war still, I say this war, it's still going on technically, but, um, you know, with so much just zeitgeist on both sides, you know, uh, taking, taking the ideas and little uh, media snippets and running with them and for every, everyone was doing it. So the fact that you can look into it and, and actually educate people from the standpoint of, statistics and uh, a, a broader view is wildly important. So I love to hear that this was a big success for you. 
and it sparked your interest to keep going. It, it did. Um, I think that I, I sort of didn't know what I was going to do when I retired. And I said, well, you know, let, let's give this higher ed thing a try. And the funny story is, you know, many veterans go through this. It's like, well, I have the skill set as a senior officer <clears throat> to come in and, and join the senior administration of some of these small colleges or somewhere. And uh, up in the Northeast, it's like, well, the, you know, the job posting says master's degree required doctor of preferred, which really means you have to have a doctorate. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, uh, now the, so I figured, well, I guess I better go get that doctorate. Cause you know, I, I want to bring my administrative skills <clears throat> to higher education. And, uh, the even sweeter story is you can go and get that doctorate and now they're going to come back with you, but you don't have any experience. And so, uh, <clears throat> so it's a double whammy. And so that, that is, I think you have to know somebody, uh, I mean there, and I didn't really know anybody per se. And so, uh, anyway, <clears throat> that's, that's where during my uh, coursework as a grad student, I began to get into the literature and start to wrangle with some of the issues like, <clears throat> well, veterans are struggling. Well, you know, veterans aren't succeeding in higher education. Well, they can't do this thing. And um, I just wasn't seeing it. And, um, <clears throat> and I learned a lot along the way and became a counter voice to this message of failure that veterans have out there. This deficit modeling is, is what it's called in literature. Right. And I said, we have to start looking at veterans from strengths perspectives, because I think that that is, um, that's the only right way to do it because we don't want to explain failure. We want to explain success. And, uh, that's actually, um, transformed over into my work as a dissertation chair. I don't let my students explain failure, you know, well, we've got black inner city students that are in middle school, you know, in Atlanta or whatever. It's like, okay, the story's been told a million times how those students struggle and fail in life. I want to know, you know, I, I think, <laughs> I tell them I want to know, but I think that you should look at the students that are successful and you should see what the success formula is so you can share that because everybody knows why they fail, but the opposite of failure isn't always success. You, you have, there are different things that make success. And so, uh, so that's what it was. And so along the way, um, you know, the question that you wanted to prompt my thinking was, what were my experiences getting out of the military? So being in a, a doctoral program, being retired, having disability, having a spouse that works made it very easy for me to transition. So really the bumpiness in my transition was primarily wrangling with academics who, for lack of a better way to describe it, have never been in the real world and um, didn't have a practical urgency for anything they were doing. Um, there was even one professor who thought they, they should be the one who knows more about what has gone on in the military than I have, even though their only experience was, you know, talking to military spouses in Puerto Rico during one study or something like that. And I'm like, come on. You know, you're, you're the, you're the professor, you're the expert of the course, but please let me be the expert of the military. And I know that has happened a lot with, uh, especially with undergrads in history courses, courses that cover subject matter that, you know, well, I was on the ground in Afghanistan. And so I, I think your history of the war in Afghanistan is a little, a little off because I was there. I can tell you it was different, right? Right, 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 right. And I think that that's tricky, you know, cause you, you do, you, you people who, you know, on the, on the faculty side, dig down into the literature 
and they have probably written and feel very passionate about a certain perspective. However, that perspective was probably formed by somebody that they studied under. And so they're really getting, you know, a limited kind of viewpoint. Same thing, the person who is in country in Iraq, um, it's hard because they've had an experience, but they've only had their experience, you know, but still it is a lived experience. And, and I have found that uh, to, to pop up once in a while, you know, there's, if there's a disagreement, uh, it's like someone saying, well, this is what happened because of X, Y, and Z. And then the student saying, well, no, I, you know, lived there for a year, two years, sometimes longer. Let me tell you about this. And, and, you know, sometimes the students also able to point out more social and environmental nuances than someone who has read uh, a thousand articles and all the great books, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. So uh, 20 years and you start out as an artillery officer. I think this is very interesting because I will, I want the listeners to notice a uh, high number of artillerymen, high number of infantry people, uh, just something about combat arms. It's something about combat arms and then going and getting a doctorate. Uh, I think that contradicts a lot of what people think. But on this show, uh, there has been a very high number of people from a combat arms background. I, I love that. So with this 20-year experience and with going from this to staff grade officer and, you know, like you said, dealing with more soft skills, nation building, people... Um, at what point were you, what point did you decide, like, it's going to be education? It, it was there during the last, uh, probably three years of my career. Uh, so the final year of my career, I was in Korea. The three years before that, I was a commander of the ROTC detachment. And I would say right about when I got to start teaching that elective course on uh, Iraq, uh, I, I said, you know, there can be a place for me in higher education. Um, I, I hadn't really thought, I mean, the, the corporate rat race would be fine. Obviously the pay can be really good over there. Um, for, for me, you know, you know, toiling through for 20 years, as many of us do through the good, the bad and the ugly, um, you kind of think that the reward for that is getting to do a job where you're going to really like what you're doing. You're going to get a lot of job satisfaction out of that. And um, I can say that while, you know, it's not going to make me a millionaire anytime soon working in higher education, uh, the, the, I'm way up there at the top of Maslow's hierarchy with helping students uh, develop their dissertation research, help that be a quality process, working to refine qualitative uh, research uh, coursework and, and programs at Liberty. And, and, you know, th that is, and we're just working with great people. Um, you know, I, I love all my bosses. I love all my peers. I love all my students. And, it, you know, it's, and, and I'm flexible. In addition to that, I get that flat faculty bonus of, of having that flexibility. And uh, it's just, it's just great. And the only thing it could be better is I could be making six digits, which never happens. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I think, I think at one time the, uh, the margin of comfort in higher ed was there, you know, but uh, these days, right. You, you got to go for all those other <laughs> aspects <laughs> in higher education. Yep. 
make it attractive. Absolutely. Um, excellent. Excellent. So in the last few years, and you started developing the idea to get a doctorate in education because you liked higher ed, um, can you tell us a little bit about like your dissertation research was and, and why you chose that? Yeah, it's a funny story. So I, I many students come to their dissertation uh, program with some idea about what they want to study. I had no idea what I wanted to study. I thought that this would be the kind of thing that would come up during coursework because I didn't know any better. And uh, because I didn't have a traditional master's degree, I had one of these, you know, distance learning master's degrees while I was on active duty. So um, certainly was not socialized into the whole uh, graduate student experience. And so I was, I was sitting there, I was taking some courses before I formally entered the program. And I was going through the application process for the PhD program. And I sat with um, a, uh, a teaching assistant having a cup of coffee. And uh, I remember it vividly in the coffee shop where we were in Amherst and everything. And uh, she said, you know, well, what do you want to study for, um, for your dissertation or for you, you want to research or whatever? And I said, I don't know. I said, do you have any ideas? And she goes, what about veterans? And I said, what about veterans? And she goes, well, that's what you have to find out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I dug into the literature. I mean, this was, this was 2000, early 2010 and, uh, or late 2009, one or the other. And, uh, and so in that year, anyone who's familiar with the literature is, is going to go in, is going to find exactly three articles about student veterans. And um, Mark Bowman wrote a great article about the struggles of those who are in the part-time military and how they go back and forth between military and non-military. So that was a really good article. And, um, and then there was um, <clears throat> something that David DeRamio wrote. And then there was this veteran-friendly book that came out, New Directions for Student Services. That was the entire contemporary literature on student veterans. And I said, huh, one guy thinks they're struggling. One person thinks this concept called veteran friendliness is something we should pursue. And somebody else is talking about the struggles of the part-time military. I said, so is this normal? And they're like, no, that's basically no literature. I'm like, yeah, because I don't even agree with half the stuff that's in there. And so, um, you know, and they're like, well, then that, that's what you have to do. And, and what, what was great about that experience uh, so obviously I'm going to research student veterans. What was great about that was because there was no literature when I was going through all of this early development of my, my own conceptualization of things, I was forced to draw wide connections with all of the rest of the higher education literature out there um, to include some sociology literature and some psychology literature because there was no student veteran literature uh, to connect. And that strengthened everything I was doing because some of the stuff, frankly, was kind of made up off of uh, anecdotal observation <clears throat> that was in the sparse literature back then. Uh, and I've been very heavily critical of it. And I, I try to stay off that platform anymore these days. But, um, but I think what it did was strengthen the conceptual model that ended up being used for my dissertation. And there's a long name for my dissertation, like all the dissertations. But basically what I was looking at was as I talk about the, you know, the, the uh, strengths perspective, you know, what, what is the recipe for success for student veterans? And um, the fascinating piece about that was, and I'm a qualitative scholar, so I'm very much into the exploring the unknown and very comfortable with that kind of stuff. 
Right. And I, I you know, I set up, oh, I'm going to do a public university and a private university. I'm going to go talk to veterans and then I'm going to focus group. And then we're going to see what they say. And three veterans into my first site, all the veterans are pointing to someone else that they thought was critical to their success as a student veteran. And I called my dissertation chair, Joe, Ber Joe Berger, who is now the, the dean of the College of Education at UMass Boston. I said, Joe, I've got a problem. He goes, what's that? All the veterans are spotlighting somebody else. And I said, in order to follow a proper qualitative process, I have to change my dissertation. I have to go talk to those people to find out their perspective. And, um, and that was really the, the magic nugget. I, I don't know per se that most of what the veterans said surprised me. Well, I worked hard and my professors were good and my family supported me. Oh, you know, okay. But that Professor Smith over there or staff member Jones over there was critical. Um, I called him a success influencer. And basically what it was, if you can imagine a horse race, you know, they're all lined up in the starting blocks and then the gates open. So validation from the success influencer was like the starting blocks opening up, except for the student veterans horse was the only one that was allowed to go. Everybody else is held back because it didn't bother for them. So it allowed the veteran to get a, a, a head start. It was it was like um, they were vaulted forward for their success. And so that was a really, really cool thing uh, for me to learn about. And, uh, and it happens with almost all veterans. Yeah, man, when you're just now, when you're saying that, uh, that, that definitely happened to me, <laughs> I'll tell you that. And, you know, I think about it, you know, pre, pre Marine Corps time for me, when I was in high school, I never had a teacher that said, you're smart or you've got potential or anything like that. You know, it was just turning the homework. Is it done? You know, face forward. Uh, don't pick your nose probably, but, um, you know, it wasn't until after I got out of the Marine Corps. And I remember I had a world civ teacher, uh, at a university and this professor one day was like, wow, you know, a lot of questions. You're really smart. And it, it was like, that was the first time I thought in my whole educational life, like, oh, maybe I can do this. Yep. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something to this and, and I need to quit selling myself short. And it honestly wasn't until that moment in that one sentence. I, I've never forgotten that. Yeah, it, it, it really was inspirational to me to, to hear about that. And, um, and it can come from a lot of different places. Some, some people cited their family members, uh, staff members, of course, the director of veteran services in many cases. Of course, in the time when I was doing these interviews, this was when a lot of these places, when these students had started as freshmen, there was nothing. It was the part-time staff person who certified benefits. <laughs> right. and, um, and then they became the full-time veteran person later um, and some faculty members and, and sometimes other peer veterans, which was also very interesting as we talked about earlier, you know, referring for, you know, aspects of support and stuff like that. And so it was, it was just a real pleasure and um, to see all of it because, because a lot of people dig into their qualitative methods and they think it's a lot of voodoo and fake research and especially the people who believe in big quantitative studies and stuff like that. But to see the whole thing come together on the qualitative side, it's like, look, when you do a, an honest qualitative study, you, you get highly impactful results. And um, yeah, it's not thousands of veterans, but um, you know, 
you didn't have to tell me that that happened to you because based on the honestness and the fact that that came from all my student veterans, except for one who he was an outlier anyway. Um, I knew that you would say that because it's just, it's too obvious. <laughs> no, you know, I, that's what I love about qualitative research. You know, like you said, uh, first of all, I, I come from the mindset of uh, the study dictates the type of research, you know, but I, yes. I do think it's funny. There is this weird quant qual uh, argument in higher education, not with everybody, but with some people. And it, it's so childish uh, because really it's, it's like, what's the study doing? And like you said, when you're looking at the things you were looking at where nobody, nobody had treaded in those waters before, you have to do it in a qualitative way. But when you get enough people, uh, you're right. These things, not only, not only do the themes emerge that are going to answer your questions, but the details you can get out of it, uh, there's something that's so unique there and so powerful. Uh, and, you know, I think quant is great, but quant, you don't get that story attached, right? right? And I, me personally, and I think a lot of people who probably have been in the military are like this, uh, based off things that I've heard, but I think context is huge for not only us, but, you know, other populations. And it's just nice to have that and get that full picture. Absolutely. You can't get that otherwise. <laughs> you can't get that otherwise. So great. So, so you're digging down and you're finding these answers and you, you're rejecting some of the very skinny literature that's out there at the time. And uh, tell, tell us more about how does that influence your next steps? Like, uh, did you take that and start shopping for a, a faculty position saying like, okay, here's what I did. And uh, it contradicts some things, but we can make some research happen here. Yeah, what, what I did at first was, it was during my coursework, it allowed me to <clears throat> participate in a lot of academic conferences and, um, and to get a lot of great feedback on what would eventually become my dissertation work, but it also to contribute to shaping some of that messaging. Um, and I think that we've had some success over the years I would say, you know, the last, you know, 10, 10 years or so in turning some of that corner, but there's uh, yeah, culture wide. I mean, nothing makes the news unless it's bad news. And so if I feel as though we have a population that ought to be helped, I need to talk about how that veteran, uh, that population is struggling or failing. And, um, and certainly, you know, for a population that we've never heard of, that's probably the right way to go. But, you know, for some, for some population who's basically going to get free college education, you have a hard time packaging how those people are struggling when some people can't even get the funds to go to college um, and they went to the military and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, there's some struggle, but it's, uh, it's no more than a quarter of student veterans are struggling out there. Uh, I don't think any are really struggling at graduate school. It's all undergrads, you know, 25%. And like, like back, back to what you said, when, when people would ask, well, I have to make this argument for the veterans lounge uh, in order to keep it because space is short on campus. Well, you're not going to do a, and, and the reason why quantitative research is so valuable. 77% of people said we should keep the veterans lounge. Okay, keep the Veterans Lounge. Well, but that doesn't tell a story. Like you said, first of all, you know, 85% of student veterans don't use the lounge. So that number is never going to happen. 
but it's those those veterans that are struggling in most cases to some extent either that or they really need other veterans for their support those are the ones that are going to use lounge so you get that qualitative study about their experiences it really helped me connect with other students on this campus to be in that lounge sold keep the lounge right you can't right. get that on quantitative data and, uh, and so that has been the kind of thing that I've been doing for several years. Uh, unfortunately, as, as I you know, graduate and, and move on, one of the things I did was I delayed because my program was switching from an EDD to a PhD. And okay. so I sort of dragged my feet a little bit so I could get that PhD. So I was out there publishing and teaching and doing some things and, and working in some veteran services offices and doing some of that kind of stuff. But ironically, as the years unfolded, thinking that administration was going to be my path, um, I realized that um, that is not my path. My path is more teaching. Both of my parents were teachers uh, when I was young, and my dad was a middle school administrator, which in a lot of regards is like being a teacher. Right. And, uh, and so it's in my blood. And uh, my brother's a, a music professor, uh, you know, and uh, and there's always been that kind of teaching going on in my family. And so uh, so I, I, I have I started teaching at uh, everywhere I went. The irony was I couldn't even see it. I, I would become a director of veteran services or work in veteran services and I'd be teaching on the side because that's the piece that I really enjoyed. And uh, it's not that I don't enjoy uh, doing veteran services stuff. It's just that there, there may be other people with other skill sets that may be better suited to that. And, uh, and I really enjoy the teaching. And I, I didn't even, uh, many places don't have full-time dissertation chairs. And now that I've landed in this position to be in the research all the time, not just with student veterans, I have many veteran studies that are in my stable, but I have many that are not, is just fascinating. It's great. And so, uh, so I, I, I've landed where I belong, I think. That's excellent. That's excellent. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, I think there is something exciting, probably from the people outside looking in that aren't in academics, they might be like, that sounds boring. But I think there's something exciting when you like research, being able to see a big amount of emerging studies start to take shape. Right. Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's, Absolutely. I'm sure you get to see and we'll talk about that in a little while because I'm, I'm really curious about that. Uh, but I'm so glad that not only are you writing yourself, but, you know, you are helping others get comfortable with the process, you know, and seeing what they're doing. That's great. So. Dr. Vaki, you've got uh, recently in the past couple months, you've released a book. Can you tell us some about, can you tell the guests or the listeners rather, excuse me, uh, some about your book and uh, just kind of the nuts and bolts, what motivated you to write that and, and what, when they, when they end this podcast today and they go and order it, what they might find uh, within the covers? Sure. Um, so wrote a book, uh, short titles called Straight Talk for Veterans. And uh, in, in talking with uh, some people, uh, realize that there's a lot of circular talk that goes goes around and, you know, a lot of misinformation, stuff like that. And and veterans appreciate straight talk. It's like, I can't tell you how many times and, and believe it or not, non-veterans also appreciate straight talk. There's right. so much circular, politically correct, um, angular conversations because everybody's afraid of everything these days. And, um, you know, when when I have a dissertation student or when you have a veteran, it's like, hey, you're a little bit messed up on that. Most of the time, people are like, oh, I had no idea. Thanks for letting me know. 
right? It's not like you're offending them. It's like they're, they're investing in whatever it is they're doing. And if they're on the wrong path, they appreciate knowing. So veterans really enjoy the straight talk. And so, um, you know, there, there's a team of authors. I was the editor and I have a couple of the chapters that I've, okay. I've authored, but there's, there's about nine other authors in, in the various chapters. And um, as I open in, in the foreword, it's, um, are, are you tired of all these sales pitches and, and everything else that's out there? Um, don't you just want to hear the straight story? And, and all of the authors feel the same way. We're just tired of all this double speak and, and everything else. And so uh, essentially what it is, because um, I've, I've taught transition courses for student veterans over the course of uh, many years. And those, those syllabi and courses, because I'm the professor for those, you know, usually end up being fairly similar. <clears throat> what I thought about when I was conceiving of this book is what would be a good companion textbook for a transition course or either <clears throat> like a one week seminar or for a veteran just to get on their own so they can self pace themselves through some ideas. And so that's kind of the idea is it starts at the beginning, takes you all the way through searching for a job on your way out of college. And, uh, and, and, you know, there are various chapters in there. Um, the, one of the chapters that I have is, is uh, academics in the classroom. You know, how do you, how do you deal with professors? Some of these frustrating things that have been in the literature over and over again, I can't, I can't stand it when Skippy's not paying to the per, uh, paying attention to the professor and, and they're on their phone instead of listening to the lecture. I want to throttle them. You know, can't tell you how many times I've heard that from student <laughs> veterans across the country. You probably saw that when you were going into your own, you know, undergrad experience and uh, especially as a Marine, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so, so there's stuff like that. There's how do you deal with um, stress? How do you deal with, um, you know, Janine Wirt at UMass Lowell, she's got a chapter in there where she's got sort of a, um, a Maslow's hierarchy, if you will, that has about seven steps of, uh, you know, what you need in order to get yourself to graduating college. And it starts with um, financial security, and then it gets into health, and it gets into, you know, several other things. Um, <clears throat> there's a, uh, there's some, some other chapters in there that are just helpful models that I've seen. Ainsley Diamond from UConn has a chapter in there that talks about um, some of her dissertation work, which actually gives visual conceptualization to certain types of veterans and veteran trajectories. Like one, one of her stereotypical veterans was the person who was basically involuntarily separated from the military. And so depicting their transition trajectory as sort of a flat arc instead of a, a big arc, because that person's, you know, standing at parade rest saying, sir, and ma'am, and all that kind of stuff. They haven't, their brain hasn't left the military yet. Whereas then a normal trajectory person goes on a, like a normal parabola. Um, but then the one that I like spotlighting the most, because <clears throat> we see these people, especially in the veterans lounge, is that student veteran who gets stuck being real comfortable about fourth semester with being president of the student veteran association or being in the student government and they've transitioned to college. They're just not mentally arranging themselves to get the heck out of college. <laughs> they need to, so they're on, they're, they're on a, a, a latent curve up there where they're just hanging at the top instead of, you know, moving that downward trajectory to get out of college. So there's some stuff like that. And then, um, Sarah Menace has some stuff on getting yourself uh, ready for school. 
Um, Glenn Phillips and uh, Sosanya Jones have some things on, um, you know, diversity in the military and, you know, diversity is far more than skin deep, right? In the military, we know there's five services. Well, now there's six if you include the Space Force, right? Um, and then uh, Mike Kirchner comes in and talks about various things you could do academically. And, um, and Kevin Jones uh, sets up the introduction with, with a mindset that just sort of, it, it's, it's sort of, you know, goofy. Not, I asked him to do this, so it's, it's not his fault that it's goofy, but it's one of those, sometimes when you're a veteran and you're trying to read one of these books, you want to get eased in. So it sort of arranges like, a, like an operations order, how to think about the way you're going to do things and being a short chapter just to be like, hey, break down your challenges in college like you would military operations and you're probably going to be okay. So, um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, someone like Sharon Young, who uh, at, uh, she's at Western Connecticut State and uh, she did some good conceptualization of the experiences, uh, qualitative, qualitative, quantitative study on, uh, on student veterans. And it's just, it's, it's really neat stuff. And what I think is the best part about it is at the end of each chapter, there short activities or questions, thought questions that can take you through not only reflecting on the material, but this is where if you get the book as a standalone student veteran, you know, not only reading the content, but then thinking about these questions, thinking through these questions a little bit can really help you arrange some things in your mind. And of course, for, you know, we know many of our directors of veteran services are not veterans themselves. And so to get a book like this, that's going to help you create a course like this and put some training wheels on uh, per se from some people who really have experienced this out in the field um, can be very helpful. And so it's basically designed to, to set things up. Um, and you know, they, they can go um, a lot of people don't know about this place, but you can go to, you can go to Amazon, but because it's not a New York times bestseller, <laughs> it's, it's on, it's always on back order or I, there's, I don't speak book selling, but if you go to um, the website called book baby, okay. you can buy it, you can buy it directly from there, or you can look me up on LinkedIn and I can, I can help connect you with that, but it's available at book baby, which is the printer and um and they also have a bookshop where you can buy it and uh, and obviously when you buy stuff through amazon you get that whatever 20 or 30 percent discount but if you want it right away <laughs> you can get it faster from book baby um so yeah well no that's excellent that's excellent that's available online uh, and you know the content that you're describing in it because i think really prior to you writing this there's not okay so if there's something that uh, people suggest, it, it's usually from the standpoint of a university. And so it's kind of tailored just to that university's culture, right? Uh, and furthermore, prior to that, I think the only thing that, you know, really people are handing out for transition guides, I mean, there have been some that spring up, but, it, you know, the big one that you'd see on campuses was like the corporate gray. which is really dated and and very generic and just probably really just moves a few stereotypes on down the road. Uh, But I like that yours has different perspectives, is practical and pragmatic, and is something that someone could take and go to any school and have it be applicable to them. Yeah, I definitely. And, and there are even some things in there, especially some of the conceptualizing the transition stuff on the front end 
I think that corporate America folks uh, who are uh, who are seeking to hire veterans could benefit from, you know, purchasing a copy of the book and so just sort of reading through the, the beginning part of that being like, oh, I hadn't really thought about these kinds of challenges because, you know, Skippy searching on their phone instead of paying attention to the professor is going to have a parallel in the workplace. One of those parallels is we're supposed to work 40 hours a week and our smoke break is only supposed to be 15 minutes. Why are you 30 minutes into your smoke break kind of thing, right? <laughs> Same kind of indiscipline. Um, not to say that all civilians are like that, but um, same kind of, it's going to irritate a veteran. It's like, wait a second, you know, we're, we're supposed to be working kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I tell you, when you mentioned uh, you probably experienced that as a Marine, it's funny that you say that because uh, I can tell you the first class that I went to when I, I went back, it was a, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning class. Cause you know, I was on the bottom of the totem pole and got stuck with those early morning classes. And uh, I remember showing up, I had read the material, had all my books, you know, I was wearing a collared shirt. Uh, and I find out that even though I'm a little bit before the class starts, not like hyper Marine Corps early, but you know, early, I still was the only person there. And then everyone started rolling in and they were in their pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> and the, yeah, so right out the gate, I was like, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it, it's funny because, you know, many of our most senior professors, if you were to ask them what students were dressed like when they went to undergrad, they'd be like button down shirt, pants you know, uh, loafers or whatever, some sort of dress shoe or whatever. And, uh, and they don't even think about it now. It's like, it, it's, it's really a minor example of the deterioration of standards in higher education to some extent. It's not that there's not some great faculty and great knowledge being generated, but um, the, the doors open really wide. Everybody's just traipsing into higher education. And that's the reason why we have completion rates that are in the low to mid fifties across the country, because, God bless them. There's some people who ought to be going out and learning how to be an electrician or, um, you know, being a barista or whatever it is, instead of taking on student loan debt and going to college. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, it's, it's a great endeavor, but it's not for everyone. And uh, you're right. It's some people find out the hard way and we definitely, there's a price tag that is hefty attached with all higher education. So you're exactly right. There's, that is one of the major problems of contemporary higher ed for sure. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Vaki, you earlier, you mentioned a couple times uh, about being a dissertation chair and having some experiences that where you get to sit and, and, you know, read big piles of emerging research I'd love to hear more about that. Can you can you tell us some about like what what are the students publishing? What are your students' backgrounds? Some of those things. Some of what you're experiencing when you read this. Yeah, I, I have. Uh, so I, I didn't know this when I joined the team, but Liberty University has the largest school of education certainly in the Western world and perhaps in the whole world. Um, wow. And uh, they, there are 120,000 students at Liberty, which is incredible. Uh, there's 15 or 16,000 on campus and uh, almost all the graduate, graduate programs are online. And um, there, there's something on the order of 30,000 plus 
military and veteran students that are going to school there because the the deal they they have a, a really good uh, military discount and uh, and there's a lot of dependents that go as well and so my students run the full gamut from um, you know second third career folks uh, military retirees um, school teachers uh, school administrators um, folks that are in higher education but looking for a lateral transfer so I've got the full gamut Right. And um, some of the I'll just I'll just rattle off a few of the really interesting subject matters that we have um, deployment preparation of junior enlisted couples, um, success factors for student veterans with mild traumatic brain injury, uh, doctoral women, student veteran success, uh, transformational learning of veterans in therapeutic treatment courts, black women, student veterans, student veteran success uh, support factors, first generation student veteran black veterans, <laughs> black first generation student veterans, sorry. Um, the role of support in the success of military spouses in college, uh, veteran success in higher education, challenges to legitimate authority and small unit army leadership. Um, and yeah, and uh, the relationship between characteristics of student veterans as non-traditional students and academic self-efficacy. I mean, just a lot of really amazing topics. And we talked about how a lot of this stuff just ends up staying as dissertations. Um, but hopefully I'll be able to encourage some of these um, student, uh, student, well, many of these are student veterans that I have um, to go and publish their findings afterwards because they're finding some really amazing things. And, um, and it's a story that needs to be told, not just in dissertations, because, you know, when we're, when we're publishing, as you know, they, they really don't want you to lean on a bunch of dissertations in your reference list. They want you to lean on published materials. And unfortunately, still to, to this day, you know, a, a good half or more of what's out there in the literature is, is a, a little squishy. It's a little questionable. And, uh, and, you know, many times it's hard to sift between, you know, what's really good and, and what, you know, should be ignored. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that your those titles sound awesome. And I'm glad that you, you know, you're endorsing that the good research. And I would also agree they they need to publish. Uh, and my rule of thumb is you got to get three things in return. If you're going to sit down and write, you know, get it, get a presentation, get a publication, then shoot for something else. Um, yeah. But, but absolutely, you know, that, that is, that does need to add to the literature that, that needs to be out there for the veteran identity, for the veteran transition, and also all of those intersectionalities that you were, that you mentioned, because, uh, you know, those, those dissertations are in a great spot because they can really focus on the veteran aspect and, and print and publish there, or on the other intersectionality aspect, print and publish there, or both places. Uh, that's, that's the type of thing that excites me when I hear about that. Me too. <laughs> awesome. So do you find that, you know, is it mainly when you get a veteran that is completing a dissertation in education, do you find that they always gravitate towards a vet-centric topic or more times than not, is it not a vet sent tropic or is it kind of 50, 50? What has your experience been like? I would say that there's a, a fair number of my veterans who gravitate towards a military or veteran topic. Um, 
but not in every case. Um, I have a, uh, someone who's a retiree like I am, who is doing a really interesting study on um, the, the negative effects of parental involvement in higher education. And, um, you know, and so, you know, he, it was a lived experience of his sending three boys off to college um, and, uh, you know, the positive, positive uh, influence on uh, parental involvement in college is the right amount, whatever that means for the student. But <laughs> negative, uh, negative uh, influence, as you can imagine, can be the helicopter parent there too much or the complete opposite, which is not enough. And, uh, and that was his situation. And, um, and so, yeah, so he's, he's not um, doing anything to do necessarily with the military. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's not always the case, but I would say there's a lot of them. Uh, what I do find is that I find uh, <clears throat> at the doctoral level, veterans who are pursuing a, a dissertation chair do like the idea of finding a chair that understands them as a veteran. Um, and uh, I mean, obviously I don't have capacity to, to take in all the veterans and some people don't find me, but um, it, there are a lot of people who are like, well, you'll, and, and this happens for even the folks that are um, non-military that are either spouses or uh, current or former dependents. They're like, I, I figured you would get me or you would get my study because, you know, you served in the military. And, uh, and, I'm, and sometimes, I'll, you know, cause it's gotta be a good match with the dissertation chair. So I have to be really interested in the topic. Um, and so sometimes I'll play it off as, yeah, I do get your study, but I think that you can easily help someone else understand that study for which I have basically no interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, I'm full, so I'm contractually limited in the number of students I can take on. And, uh, and so there's a lot of times you're like, man, I wish I could take that study. Uh, I remember about six months ago, I, I was, I was doing like a, like a, like a hookah dance, uh, with the, with the people who, who run my contracts saying, well, in summertime, I'm going to have these many people who are finishing. And so if I go over by one now, I can still get this topic in, or, you know, <laughs> you, you just you do some of that kind of stuff. Cause you really want to be there for, for some of these. Um, but yeah, sometimes there's just no capacity. And so, uh, yeah, but it, it's, it's great helping, helping these students of, of all kinds, you know, uh, but yeah, the, particularly these student veterans, because um, they're, they're finding a really good home for what they're doing. And what's great is now with more literature out there, their literature reviews look a little different than mine did, which was largely a higher education literature. Now they're, they're tapping into um, multiple different kinds of things. In fact, since I finished my dissertation, I've been a little lax in reading a lot of the more recent literature. And, um, and I have a list of about 30 or 40 articles that I need to get out and read. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, the good stuff that's out there. I'm also excited to identify stuff that I don't think should be pushed on anybody. Um, Cause you know, I, I feel, I feel a responsibility to spotlight when something perhaps is, is misinformation, which has sort of been one of those things that I've done throughout the years, you know? Right. Right. Excellent. Excellent. And you know, that's, that is how we grow people and grow education. And, you know, uh, there are definitely different perspectives and, but sometimes if something is just flat out wrong or it, you know, it, some, I think we're at a responsibility to at least say something and at least uh, voice a little bit of dissent there, at least so people know, hey, there could be an alternative view to this. There could be alternative 
you know, research to this that can point you in a different direction. But uh, I will say, I, I definitely agree. It's exciting now to think that we're at a spot uh, where someone could actually be in the position of some of your students and build the empirical part, you know, build their literature review with things that directly, you know, tie into the veteran experience. Um, that's very exciting because you're right. Uh, a few years ago, even that wasn't there. And a decade ago, that was kind of just non-existent, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it is exciting. And, uh, and, and I'm glad, and I want to continue to see the literature evolve in a, in a positive direction. And, uh, and so I'm hopeful, but I'm, I'm still frustrated by, you know, the number of people that will go, well, this, this person said that veterans are struggling and they did a grounded theory study. So it must be really accurate or really rigorous. And it's like, first of all, it's not a real grounded theory. And second of all, veterans aren't struggling. Um, we have the data now and it, the data is four years old. It's like you haven't heard of the Invest report. You're really not digging deep enough into the literature. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah. And that's such a great study. So if someone doesn't know about that, I mean, there's, there's some depth there. They need to get familiar with it really fast. But like you're saying, uh, it also did a great job pointing out that the rejection of the deficit idea. And I think, you know, veterans, along with all marginalized populations, we have to have a different attack than just showing, you know, the negative and, and being hypercritical uh, because it, in some ways, I, I feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for all mm -hmm. marginalized, you know, somebody's like, well, this is what's expected. This is, this is what I'm going to do. But as you're pointing out, when the reality is much different, you know, there's right. way many more uh, great things going on, people getting high grades, people choosing challenging majors, people going in after college and, and shaping the workforce or shaping, you know, graduate school programs. And it's like, we need more of those conversations because in all actuality, that's the reality. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, and, and, you know, to me, it's, it's why, uh, that's why I'm so uh, excited about what Liberty does with discounts. And that there's even a new, apparently there, I can't remember the name of it right now, but there's a new transition program where the last six months of your time in the military, if you can get an assistantship in higher education somewhere or anywhere out in corporate America, you can, you can roll in and do that. It's just a memorandum of agreement. There's no, if you don't have to move and it can be done virtually, there's no cost to the university. And so that's why I'm hoping that we can get more, uh, especially senior separating military folks, both officers and enlisted um, to come into higher education, because I think that that level of critical thinking, that level of pursuit of excellence can only benefit higher education. I think that that's one of the diversity aspects that's missing across the board in higher education is that, you know, get her done kind of mentality that is not always the case. We were talking about that earlier in higher education. And, uh, and I think bringing in more, uh, especially senior uh, retiring military folks, I think is the right answer. Yeah, I think, I think higher ed would find too that the senior staff NCOs and the senior officers who have had these staff positions are, you're, you're, it's going to be hard to find a group of people that can plan uh, with such precision, you know, and iron out every single detail. And uh, 
it just it fits it fits into any organization. But you're right, the the organizations and the institution of higher education can really benefit from some of the planning skills and execution skills of <laughs> officers and, and senior staff enlisted. That's for sure. Oh, it's funny. I, I would love to see uh, the task force I was on right be- in Kuwait right before we went into Iraq in 2003 um, was predominantly Marines. And, uh, and that's when I learned really what a gunnery sergeant is. And uh, for those who have no experience with the Marine Corps, it's not just a rank. It's, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a <laughs> mythical, legendary sort of position. And, uh, and, and I got to tell you, most of these inefficient higher education staff organizations would end up hospitalized mentally if they had to deal with a gunnery sergeant trying to make their staff processes efficient um, because gun, gunny would not tolerate what goes on in a lot of those things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Iron fist and a, and a high taste for efficiency, for sure. Yep. <laughs> That's me being very, uh, very diplomatic about the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. So, Dr. Vaki, can you tell the listeners about um, anything you've got going on right now or, or something we can expect to see from you in the near future? Uh, I, I'm sure you're, you're ushering this book along, uh, but is there going to be any research, any studies, uh, anything that you're doing? Yeah, once I so I'm, I'm in the process of a of sort of a staff review process where we're, we're revising the qualitative curriculum at Liberty right now. Okay. And um, and so once that's over, I'm going to get back to doing some of those things that people have been asking me to do for years, which is when are you going to publish again and do that kind of stuff? So I, I did a, a grounded theory study when I was a student, uh, a doctoral student uh, that's about veteran friendliness. And, um, and so I'm going to um, package that and try to get that published. Um, I would like to do some research. I just don't know what my capacity is to do the research, but there, uh, the irony is, is that except for like this book and um, uh, the Straight Talk for Veterans book, and then um, a new directions for institutional research, my conceptual model and my own dissertation research has not been published yet. And there are several yeah. things that I can and should be publishing from my own dissertation. And, um, and so I, I promise I will get cracking on that stuff before I get too old and crusty. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I mean, and that's what people need to understand if, if they're not in higher education, they're not faculty, and they're not someone who sits on, uh, you know, all these dissertations is there's, there's a lot of demand. I think, outside of higher ed people are like oh you just teach teach in the spring and the fall and you get summers off and it's like no 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 no, no. it's not like that at all nope <laughs> <laughs> you're doing those things and you know you're you're reading other people's research and you're sitting on committees and you're you know uh people discount all those other things that really end up being like two more full-time jobs yeah. People, people ask me, Oh, are you reading anything for fun right now? I'm like, uh, dissertations. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not reading Tom Clancy or Harry Potter or any of that kind of, <laughs> because the last thing I want to do for my downtime is read because it's all I do all day, but I really like reading what I'm reading because I'm helping to raise the bar for, for those products that those students are making. That's awesome. That's so exciting. 
Well, Dr. David Vaki, I really, really, really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, I know the listeners are going to enjoy this. So thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. And uh, anybody can reach out anytime they want on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. And uh, like you mentioned before, Amazon, but there's a wait and then Book Baby, right? Book, book Baby and then just search Straight Talk for Veterans. Uh, I'm sure it'll come right up. Awesome. If you search my last name, it'll, it'll come up that way too, but yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. So everybody get a copy, get a copy and start sharing it and implementing it in lives because it's, it's something that's needed. Thanks. Well, sir, thanks again for being with us. And ladies and gentlemen, you have listened to another episode of Veterans and Academics. We appreciate your support. And until next time, I'm Dr. Luke McLeese, thank you very much. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.